You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, uh, Exodus 32. This is uh, the last and final teaching this month on the book of Exodus. And so uh, get, your, get your breakfast uh, if you still need some stuff. That's totally cool. Get your stuff, get your cereals and grapes and such. Uh, turn to Exodus 32. This is the story of the golden calf. Everybody say, golden calf. Golden calf. Thank you. Thank you very much. The, the story of the golden calf, Exodus 32. I'm going to read uh, 1 through 8, I believe. Yeah, 1 through 8. Here is the story of the golden calf. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. You know how long he's up there in the mountain? Yeah, about 40 days. <laughs> yeah, someone just said, long time. Yeah, a long time. 40 days and 40 nights. Is that a long time? Eh, kind of. It's like a month and a week, and it's not that long. But look, look at what the Israelites do. It says this, when Moses... When the people saw that Moses was a long time in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. Ooh. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters were wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what, what they handed him and made it into an idol cast it in the shape of a calf, fastening it, fastening it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Ooh. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of that calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down. So the God's talking to Moses. Moses is still up on Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, whom you have brought up out of Egypt. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we worship you, true God of the Bible, true God of creation, Yahweh. Father, we worship you in your true form. God, would you open our hearts and minds to receive from your word this morning who you are. Father, enlighten us. Bring to our hearts and minds the knowledge, the more true knowledge of who you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus, knowing that you have all power. And everyone screamed. That's pretty good. Not as good as the countdown screen, but yeah, good enough. Um, thank you very much. Um, when I, a couple years ago, I worked construction and it was a new job for me and I kind of didn't know anything at the time. Like all the power tools were just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to cut off something. <laughs> and I was just afraid of all the power tools and didn't know what I was doing. So my boss gave me a really easy job of painting uh, the trim of this house. And we just so happened that we were, he, th- that day, there wasn't too much on the job site. So he, 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 uh, he brought me over to his house and I was painting the trim inside his house. And I had this can of paint. It was like a weird, like, I'm not sure if, I think it was like a latex-based paint, and he had mixed it with something to kind of water it down so, so it goes further. And uh, the only uh, drawback to that was the paint kept on separating. And so like every five to ten minutes, you'd have to shake up the can of paint or else the color would turn from like l- bright white to like a dark 
darker white. And so you had to keep shaking this can of paint. And so my, my boss kind of showed me how to shake a can of paint as if I had never seen a can of paint before. And he was like, here you go. Here's how you do it. Uh, you have to put the t- top back on before you shake it. And he's like, showed me, push it on and then like tap around it tick, 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 with a little hammer and then shake it up and then, uh, and then get a screwdriver and like pop the lid. You know how a paint can works, right? Of course. And so, and, and so I was like, sweet, okay, I got this. So I'm painting along, about five, ten minutes has passed, and uh, it's time to shank, shake, up the pan, <laughs> bleh, shake up the can of paint again. So I did what the boss said, put the top on, pushed it down, ding, 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 tapped it all around, shook the can of paint, and then put it back down, got the screwdriver, got the can of paint, then resumed painting. It took a long time. So the next time I, I went to shake the can of paint, I thought, I got this. No big deal. I'm a genius. I'm working construction. <laughs> Let me shake the can of paint without tapping it around with the hammer. And so I just put the can, uh, the, the top on the can. I was like, I, I got this. I could hold it in place long enough to shake it up. So I put it on. I'm like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And the top moved off the can just enough to... Paint goes all over the wall, and then I'm like, like that, and I slipped, and paint goes all over me, all over the floor, all over the wall, and I'm in, like, panic mode because the boss showed me how to shake a can of paint as if I had never seen a can of paint before, and I decided I'm better than that. I got this. I could do it my own way. No big deal. And so I made a mess of things, and here I am in this panic. I had, like, two T-shirts on, so I rip one T-shirt off, and I'm, like, scooping up paint with my t-shirt and like kind of pouring it back into the can as fast as I possibly could and like I got enough of it cleaned up and I'm like running to the kitchen grabbing paper towels like spitting on stuff and like trying to wipe paint off things and just praying to God that the boss doesn't come back home at that moment and see paint everywhere and ask how the paint get everywhere did you did you put the top on right and I was I would have had to say no or I would have had to make up some kind of lie <laughs> like yeah this cat came in and knocked it over or something ridiculous uh and just in that moment i felt so dumb and so panicked that i had done against what my boss had said and i kind of imagine the israelites in this moment of exodus 32 this golden calf incident they're they're just straight up partying when moses comes back the, the, later on in the story we're going to get to moses comes back kind of the boss guy comes back and sees them in the midst of their the 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 word is often revelry. They're in the midst of revelry. And just I imagine just the, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Why didn't we listen? Why did we disobey? Why did we think that we could do this on our own and make up our own calf? And I just imagine that feeling. You know the feeling? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you're like, yeah, unfortunately, we do. Um, well, if you're new to Mill Sunday School, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being new. Um, <laughs> We have on every table should be a first-timer card. If you fill this out and bring it to our little table up there afterwards, we will give you a CD. It's got some of our uh, own original fresh music on it and a welcome series from The Mill. The Mill is on Friday nights. If you haven't been to The Mill on Friday, that's our main ministry. This is kind of an offshoot of that. And just a little heads up that The Mill Sunday School is kind of a place for for study. I, I joke around that we're the nerds of The Mill, right? All right. So far, so good. All right, let's get into the story. I brought something special today. Do you want to see what specialness this is? Um, some of you may not. I don't know that I ever. I think I only saw this a couple times when I was a kid um, at, at, like, little kids Sunday school. But uh, I'm going to show you something, and it's pretty cool. Are you ready for it? Do you know what it is already? I, 
It's a felt board. <laughs> so here is uh, a felt board. Oh, gosh. The technology on this is just amazing. Like, I don't, I don't know how it works. It's just amazing. So here's a board. It's got, like, felt on it. And then uh, there's some characters here, and they're, they're also felted. How many? Raise your hand if you remember a felt board from, like, little kids. Oh, really? Okay, all right. Just kidding, just kidding. Because I, I think I kind of remember one, and then I was like, I don't really remember. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't have that good of a memory. So I'm going to, what we're going to do is the, the story of the golden calf is about two chapters long. And that would take a long time to read um, here in this public meeting setting. And so what I decided to do was kind of reenact the, the two chapters. And then you could read the chapters on your own and, and, and let the Lord speak to you from the word of God. But I think the story in and of itself is is a great story. So here's, let me set up the characters here. I have, I have them all picked out. I was actually like practicing as if this was a little drama at home this morning. <laughs> you could ask Erica. So yeah, he was. Uh, so here's Moses right here. He's up on this. This is Mount. What mountain is this? Sinai. So he's up on the mountain. Um, here's this guy, which we'll get to in a little while. Where is he? This guy's up here praying. He's not, down here is going to be the city and the people and the golden calf. This guy's, I'm just going to put him about halfway. Do you know who that is? Yeah, very good. Joshua uh, in the story is not with the people, but he's not with Moses. It seems like he's somewhere on the mountain, like halfway down, maybe praying or something like that. Pretty cool. Uh, here's Aaron. I'm going to put him here. Whoop. Kind of looks like Aaron, don't you think? <laughs> I get, I get, I'm easily amused. I don't know. Uh, and then here's here's some peeps. Oh gosh. So that the, I think PowerPoint is so much better than felt board. I don't know why the felt board ever made its appearance, but eh, anyways, it's it's cool for our purposes. So here's some peeps down here. So hard to work with. Uh, these guys. Let's put them here. They're they're laughing. They're talking. They're like, "What's going on?" Yeah, blah blah blah. And and Moses is uh up on the mountain. How many how many days is he up there? How many nights is he up there? It's 40 days and 40 nights. Basically, that's just a month and a half. And uh, I'm a month and a, a week, really. I mean, it's, it's 40 days. Not that big of a deal. And the Israelites come to Aaron. That's this guy right here. And, and they say, Aaron, would you, would you make for us a god? Because this Moses, we don't know where he's gone. And uh, <laughs> we need a god to go before us. And so Aaron, he makes a golden calf. And look at the, look at the scripture, because this isn't the way he's going to... Aaron, Aaron makes the calf, and then when he retells the story, it's a little different than what he actually says. Look at Exodus 32, verse, uh, verse 4. It says, He took what they handed him and made an idol. You see that? Who made the idol? Aaron. Who, and then it says, Cast him in the shape of a calf. Who cast him in the shape of a calf? Aaron did. And then, and then it even says, and then fashioned it with a tool. So who made the idol? Aaron did. And so he fastened it. He cast it. He made it. All those verbs there. And so he goes around and says, all right, g- give me your earrings. So he like, bloop, 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 bloop. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so now, that's good. <laughs> Bill's up here. You're, you're doing fine, man. Just relax. Just relax. <laughs> I feel like that kid like doing his speech in front of the class and just like, oh God. I hate this class. I just leave. Just leave crying. Anyways. <laughs> Can you all see that alright? 
I guess you guys can't. Well, I'll turn it a little bit. It's important. Uh, so Aaron, I'm gonna. This is the golden calf right here. And if you if you look at it from the back, you're like, oh, it's just a little golden thing. If you're up in the front, you could actually see that it's a it's golden in color. So that's why I'm using it. It's the only golden thing I had. But it's actually just two cats. It's kind of weird. You can come up and look at it later. So here's the here's the golden calf. Comes from the earrings, uh, the jewelry that the people were wearing. Aaron made it, fastened it, and fastened it with a tool. He, he cast it into the shape of the calf. And so there is the calf. And then, and then Aaron says to the people, um, or they said, the Israelites say, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. What? Like they, they made this golden calf and said, these, this is, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt? I mean, what a weird thing to say. They knew that Yahweh had brought them from the land of Egypt. It's a very weird thing to say. And then Aaron says, um, uh, tomorrow we are going to have a feast unto the, unto the Lord. And people the next day began sacrificing to this little golden calf. And, and then it says, they, they sat down and they ate and drank. And then it says, they got up and enjoyed in revelry. And some other translations say, and then they got up to play is how some translations say it. And uh, the connotation there is, is a kind of a sexual connotation. And so I just imagine like uh, there's so many, it seems like I could probably name like four or five movies where this is the case, like high school movie-ish kind of movies where there, there's like this kid and he's like, hey, let's have a few friends over to this party. Mom and dad are gone. I'm not supposed to have a party, but it's just a few of my friends. And so like 10 friends come over, but those 10 friends have also invited people. And then those people like made flyers. And then those people that got the flyers are like bringing booze. And so like the kid is at home and like all these people just cut, you know, the movie, right? I mean, it's probably, you could probably name like five or six movies where that's the case. And all these people are just like in the house. There's a party going on. It's out of control. What's going on in all the different bedrooms? <laughs> people are making out. Revelry. And so people, people are just making out. I don't know if you ever saw this when... Uh, Am I allowed to do that? I don't think. If, you, if you're offended, don't, just stay for the rest of Sunday school, and, and then you don't have to come back. Uh, but the, the, the true meaning of that, I looked up the, he, the name of this, the Hebrew word that sometimes is, is uh, translated revelry or play, really is that the people got up and had a feast towards this golden idol, and then began acting totally immorally. I mean, just imagine a, a bad party gone out of control, People making out everywhere. Uh, there's there's substances. There's just partying going on. Revelry. Are people playing? Is this is the, sometimes this word is translated? And all this is going on. The sin of this going on. You realize the situation. I mean, we're kind of making light about it by putting the felt people on top of felt people. Um, but that you realize the situation of the Israelites, God's people, doing this. Not only building an altar, but then engaging in sin. And so God comes to Moses. And so Moses is up here. You know what he's up there getting? The Ten Commandments and the rest of uh, the law. And so actually, if you were to look at the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 20, 
all the way through chapter 31 is what Moses is hearing from the Lord um, that starts off with the, with the Ten Commandments and then goes on to talk about other laws and the priesthood and the garments and the, and the lampstand and the tabernacle. Um, all this stuff is in between chapter 20 and chapter 32 that we read this morning. The end of chapter 19 is Moses going up into the mountains, into this big cloud, and all the Israelites saw it. And about 40 days and nights later, the people are engaged in this revelry. And God comes to Moses. And just imagine God up here speaking to Moses. And God says to Moses, stand back. Leave me alone because I am going to destroy the Israelites. That's what God says to Moses. And it's a very interesting prayer. You could read it later for yourself at the, at, towards the middle of Exodus 32. God says all these things about the Israelites, how they're a stiff-necked people, how they're sinful, how they just engage in sin, how they've done this horrible thing while you're up here on this mountain. And Moses prays to God. He has a conversation with God. And you know what Moses says? Moses says something along the lines of, God, please don't do it. Please don't destroy these people. These people are the people that you let out of Egypt. These are your people. I mean, imagine a, a, a man telling this to God, like almost like reminding God. Does God need reminding? No, absolutely not. But there's this, there's this conversation that's recorded in the Bible, and it's just a very interesting interesting interaction. And, the, and then basically Moses says, please don't destroy the people. And, and you know what God does? As some translations say he relented. Some, some translations say he changed his mind. That God, that God was going to destroy all these people. And Moses kind of has a conversation with God. And then he doesn't destroy the people. And so Moses goes down to see what's going on. And so Moses, that, that conversation ends. Moses goes down. Do, 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 sees Joshua halfway. And Joshua's like, dude, what's going on down there? Sounds like there's a war going on. And Moses says, oh, no, uh, there's not a war going on. They're, they're singing and dancing. It says, it's not, not the sound of victory, not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And so they have that conversation. Moses keeps going down. And when he gets down, do you know what he has in his hands? Yeah, the, the two tablets with the Ten Commandments, probably all of the rest of the law as well. He's got two commandments, and he sees the revelry going on. He sees the felt characters on top of each other. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, he sees the revelry going on. He sees that party scene going on. And in his anger, you know what he does, right? He throws down the tablets. The tablets break. And, and Moses has a conversation with Aaron. He says, Aaron, what did these people do that you were to lead them into this sin? And Aaron says, uh, Moses, you know how bad these people are. They, they wanted someone to lead us out of Egypt. And so, you know what he says? The exact words, here's what he says, uh, Exodus 32, if I could find it pretty quickly, because it's, kind of, it's just kind of funny, I guess. Not funny, ha-ha, but uh, 32.24. I guess it is kind of funny, ha-ha. Uh, Exodus 32.24 says this, So I told them, whoever has jewelry, take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Is that the way it went down? No, that's not the way it would. I mean, just, I mean, <laughs> kind of like making a lie up on the spot. You're like, uh, I threw it in and out came this calf. And then, uh, wait, it's got to be your bull. And then the calf, it just came out of the fire. It sounds like a, like a 
five-year-old lie, doesn't it? Like the kind of lie, I remember I was home, I was probably around five years old, and I was, it was a Saturday morning, and me and my brother, uh, my brother's three years younger, so he was around two-ish, maybe a little less, because I was probably a little less than five, and uh, we were sitting on the couch watching TV, dad was watching us, mom was out with the ladies, uh, going to the mall, doing her ladies day shopping and stuff, and I got bored with uh, cartoons, and I saw some crayons, like, man, you know how much fun it'd be if I took those crayons and colored on the wall, that'd be sweet, and so I was just like grab these crayons and i'm like la 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 all over the wall let's just do it just for fun you know i'm just like ah look at me so fun and uh <laughs> and i did it in the hallway and i thought man i'll never get caught this is so, i mean no one comes down the hallway right and i was like man this is so much fun and then and then i was kind of like done with that watching cartoons again my dad gets up uh walks down the hallway and of course immediately sees the crayon mark on the hallway and he says who did this and i'm like uh brian did it (laughs) younger brother did it and uh my dad he didn't say anything but he he just gently took my brother my little brother's hand and and took him to the wall and like put my little brother's hand up to the wall and it like went about that far and then, uh, and then he went and got me, uh, brought me over, kind of gently put my hand up to the wall. And, of course, my hand went, like, right to the top of the line of the crayon. And he didn't say anything. He just, he just, gave, me a, he just gave me a spanking right there. He knew. He knew. I knew. It was just like... It, it, <laughs> I just imagine that kind of situation as Moses and Aaron are conversing. That the Aaron's like, uh, I threw this gold into the fire and out came this calf. And it, the Moses doesn't even respond to it. Moses just like, uh, Moses begins and he sees that the people were running wild is the exact words in verse 25. Moses saw the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them out of control and so became a laughing stock to their enemies because they were engaged in all this revelry. And um, what happens then is, is very interesting um, because... Our God is a loving God, right? But our God is also a God of justice. And 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 what happens after that is uh, Moses is instructed to take this golden calf and to grind it up, like grind it into powder, and then make the people drink it. And it kind of sounds like, you know, if you've got a puppy and the puppy does something on the carpet, uh, you don't make the puppy eat it, but you kind of like stick the puppy's nose in it. And you're like, bad puppy, don't do that. Right? Don't you do that? I mean, all right, just making sure. Uh, it sounds like that's kind of what's going on with this golden calf. That it's ground up and given to the people. And if that's not enough, um, I guess, I mean, that wouldn't be too bad. I could take a cup of gold, no big deal, you know, uh, like anybody else. But uh, then, then, then Moses is instructed to um, get some men together, get some Levites together, the priesthood together, and give those men swords and, and instruct those people to go through the crowd and to kill people. It's a very weird type of punishment where, the, where humans, men, are actually um, killing people. And it says that 3,000 people died that day. So we'll take, a, we'll take a few people out. It says that 3,000 people died that day and that the justice of the Lord was, was, was done as people were killed because of that incident, because of the golden calf, because of the partying and the revelry. And um, it's just, it's a fascinating story that, that can show us a lot. And so the question I have for you, it's on your notes. You may have seen it already on your notes. Uh, so we examined the, inc- the calf incident. That was kind of the first thing if you were taking notes. And, and the question next is, are the Israelites that 
dumb. And what I mean by that is, when I was reading this story, I just thought of, you know, all the things that the Israelites experienced. You know, and we could list them out. I kind of I listed them out. Um, I, they, they went through the Red Sea. You remember that? The Red Sea split open and they walked across on dry ground. Miracle, right? Big deal, miracle. Uh, they, they saw the ten plagues happen to the Egyptians and not to them. They saw, I mean, for crying out loud, one of the plagues was uh, darkness for three days. Now, I get up in the morning just like you, and the sun's always there, right? Imagine the miracle of for three days darkness, and Moses said that that was going to happen, and then it happened as a punishment to the Egyptians. And the Israelites saw that. It's just amazing. Uh, I think about the pillar of light. For the 40 years that they were in the desert, there was a pillar of, of light by night and a pillar of smoke by day that the Israelites followed around in the desert. And so they knew that God was with them. They knew that when Moses went up on that mountain on Sinai, that there was a big cloud of smoke. And, and the wonder of that is just like, wow, the whole, the whole mountain looks like it's on fire. Moses is in a pillar of smoke. I mean, the Israelites saw that and knew he was on the mountain praying with the Lord. Um, last week we talked about the manna from heaven. Do you walk around outside and bread just kind of is kind of like on the ground? You're like, I'm kind of hungry. Oh, look, a piece of bread. No, that's a miracle. And the Israelites saw that. Israelites saw water from a rock. Israelites saw water turn sweet when Moses chucked a, a stick into this pond that was bitter and nasty. It turned sweet and good. The water was good. The Israelites saw uh, they were in a battle with the Amalekites. And they were fighting with the Amalekites. But the Amalekites were like big, b- bad tribe. They should have won this battle. But Moses was up on a hill. Do you know the story? And when Moses was raised his hands up, the, the Amalekites would win. And so Moses stood on the hill and rose his hands. And the whole battle, the, the Israelites won this battle that they shouldn't have won. It was a miracle. All these things they experienced. They experienced the, 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 the pillar of smoke around Moses when Moses was up on the mountain. And then just 40 days later, about a month and a week later, they... They come to Aaron and say, make us a God because we don't know if Moses is going to come back. We need a God to go before us. And so the question I have is, are the Israelites really that dumb? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that yourself? You're like, man, those Israelites, they're so dumb. I can't believe that they're dumb. They're so dumb. Have you thought that to yourself? I was thinking about that and just thinking, they must have experienced so much. Those Israelites, man, they're dumb. Um, And then I thought, you know what, I think... Instead of just saying, oh, they're dumb, I think, I think there's something inside of us all that's just human nature that leads us into doing what we don't want to do. And I want to be very clear before I go into this section that through the power of Jesus Christ, we are saved not only from the, the punishment of sin, but we are saved as well from the power of sin. Amen? We're saved from the punishment and from the power of sin. But does that mean we're just totally above not sinning? No, we still struggle. We're still tempted. We will still need to battle. You know, in the in the New Testament, it talks about battle until you know your body. What's the exact phrase? Have you not battled, fought to the point of shedding blood? Is that what it is? In, in sweating blood or shedding blood, in in fighting in your fight from sin. And so the fight when you become a Christian, the fight obviously is not over. Everyone knows that. It's just like duh. And I think there's something inside of us all that we look at the story of the Israelites. And we could ask ourselves, like I did, honestly, I said, man, are the Israelites really this dumb? And then I thought, man, everyone is, is accustomed to, to falling into sin. No one's above temptation. No one's above just falling into sin. Um, and I remember I used to live in L.A. I lived in L.A., Los Angeles, for a year, and I was, like, really into surfing. At least I thought I was pretty cool. I was, like, I got into surfing and longboarding. And uh, I was visiting L.A., 
uh, about a year later, I went there and I was working on my doctorate. I'm surrounded by all these really cool people also working on their doctorate. And they're, most of them are pastors or in, in the ministry themselves. And we were just taught we had one day off. It was a two-week session of classes out in Los Angeles as I was working on my doctorate, which maybe like next summer I'll have it. Yes, that'd be sweet. Um, but anyways, uh, I was talking to these guys. and like, well, so what are you going to do on our day off? We get a day off in L.A. And I was just telling them, oh, I'm going to go surfing with some buddies. I have some buddies. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to borrow a board from one of them. We're going to go surfing at Malibu. That'll be sweet. And I was telling them, it was like summertime in L.A., man, you guys should go to the beach. The beaches are awesome. That's where, you know, it's just where it's at. It's just sweet. And uh, one of the guys said, I can't, I can't go to the beach. Uh, you know, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't. I just don't, I don't do the beach thing. I was like, what? And he said, well, I, I just don't go. There's too many girls there not wearing, wearing not enough clothing. And I was, my, my first reaction of that was kind of like, I just told him I'm going to the beach. <laughs> and he's saying, oh, I can't go. It's a sin. And so I, I kind of, at first I thought he was telling me I'm a sinner for going to the beach. And he kind of, and, and, and he said, no, you're going with friends and you're going to go surfing. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't go to the beaches. And I just thought, looking back at that conversation, I think, Man, what a what a man of God to know his limits in, in something that, you know, most of us wouldn't even think about. We're in L.A., there's beaches, sweet, let's go. But here's this guy uh, away from his wife for, for two weeks, and uh, on the Saturday, his free day, uh, he, he decided, you know, I'm not going to go to the beach. I'm not going to walk down that road. I know that I'm just... I'm like any other man. I'm tempted with lust. And so he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to the beach. I don't do the beach thing. And I just thought, man, that's, that's knowing your limits, knowing before, well before sin happens, like what opens the door to sin. And it goes along this, uh, me and Erica, after we got married, we've been married about a year and a half now. We had a conversation at some point after we got married and we were just talking about a couple that had, had, was seeking divorce because of there was adultery in their marriage and and we talked about we were just talking and and i said something along along the lines of you know if you if i ever walk down the door of, of just being dumb and you i want you to ask me about it and so, and so it's like this i said if i'm ever like right getting a ride home with a girl or giving a, a, a girl a ride home or something like that or i said if i'm ever like just going out to coffee with another girl here i am a married man just going out to coffee or like i have no reason no business going into another a woman's house and it's just me and her that's just like what are you doing the duh i mean just don't walk down that road and so i told erica if i if you ever see anything like that in me i want you to ask me about it i don't want you to just to just say oh i trust you and, and I think trust should be a foundation of the marriage, obviously. But at the same time, we're one now. And there, there should be a, a righteous jealousy for each other, you know? And so, the, if, if, and so I gave her full permission. If you ever see me doing something dumb like that, I want you to ask me about it. And uh, that's, I think that's just something, that, something that's good. Because in this situation, we could look at the Israelites and say, man, they're so dumb for falling into that sin a mere 40 days later. But doesn't it seem that... You know, a lot of times, and maybe as you're thinking your own life, it seems like some of the greatest highs spiritually can be followed by some of the greatest lows in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you may. Um, either after a mission trip or after, like, a church camp. You know, as a high schooler, you, like, go to this week-long camp, and you're like, man, I'm so cool. I can, like, walk on water. I'm so spiritual. And then the next week, you've fallen back into maybe the same sin or even deeper sin. And I think it's just human nature to know that we are not above sinning. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we are above the power 
and we are above the punishment of sin. But at the same time, um, I don't think we should just look at this story and say, the Israelites were so dumb. No, I think there's something inside of us all that, that can cause us to sin. And so here's the next point. On your notes um, is, is the calf. I want to talk about the calf for a minute. It says the calf is an image of Yahweh. The first time I read through this story, um, I kind of read through it as, as if, man, the Israelites come to Aaron and they say, make us a god. And one way of interpreting this story, I think it would be the wrong interpretation, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I think one wrong interpretation would be to say that the Israelites came to, to Aaron and said, oh, just make us another god uh, to go along with us because Yahweh is no longer here with us. Make us a god, and that, that maybe they made this golden calf, and maybe there is some context for the surrounding like tribes to be worshiping a calf god or the Egyptian culture that they came from to have a calf god. But I don't think that they were worshiping this calf god and named it something else. Like, you know, there's lots of names of various gods in the Old Testament, like Dagon or Beelzebub or some other name of a god. I don't know that they were worshiping a whole other god. Here's what I think was happening, and I'll tell you why. I think they were worshiping a form of Yahweh. They were creating Yahweh in their own image to worship it. And I have two reasons for that. The first reason is because they, they hold up this god, this cast idol, here once again with the, with the kittens. They, they hold up this, this cast idol and they say, this is the gods, or these are the gods, or this is the god. There's different, different ways it's said throughout this context in, in chapter 32. This is the god that brought you out of Egypt. What's the god that brought them out of Egypt? Yahweh, our God, the great God, the God of the Old Testament, the creator of everything. His name is Yahweh. You know what the name Yahweh means? It means I am, or I am that I am. Basically, it's just the verb to be. And so, so on the back of your millet, or your skillet actually, the Sunday school millet is what we call it, on the back there's always a sweet quote. The sweet quote of today is I am by God. <laughs> this thought, that was funny. The, the, the name of God, Yahweh, I am. And so they're... They, they say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt, knowing full well that it was Yahweh that brought them out of Egypt. And then Aaron says something fascinating. And here's where I really get the, this idea that the Israelites weren't just worshiping another God, but they were worshiping Yahweh in this form. Because Aaron says, tomorrow we will get up and we will have a feast unto Yahweh. He says, here's this golden calf. Tomorrow we will have a feast a feast day unto the Lord. And the, the, the word is Yahweh. We will have a feast unto I am. And so I think what they're doing is flip over to um, Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. If you've ever kind of wondered, like, man, where are the Ten Commandments in the Bible? Um, Exodus chapter 20. You could, you could look through them, and there they all are. The first commandment, you might have memorized this one. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, Right? And you can look at this, this chapter, Exodus 32, and say, is that, is that what's going on here? Are they, are they worshiping another god? And, and from my study, what I've concluded is, I don't think they're worshiping another god. I think they're worshiping Yahweh. But I think they're committing a horrible sin. And the horrible sin that they're committing is uh, commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And then it goes on to explain that an idol is in the form of anything, and you worship it. And I think what they're doing is they're not breaking commandment number one, worshiping another god. I think what they're doing is breaking commandment number two and making an idol of 
Yahweh, and they're worshiping it. So here's the question. We, we like to do discussion, at least I like to do discussion, in the Mill Sunday School. I think it's important. I think it really is to converse and, and to talk about the application of this. And maybe you've heard sermons before of, of what it's, I mean, how can we apply this kind of ancient idea of, of an idol, right? I mean, like, I mean, not American idol, right? When we think of idol, how many of you are like, wait, American idol or another? No, we're talking about like an idol, like the calf idol. You know what I'm talking about. Um, Here's the, here's the discussion question, and you could turn to some little buddies at your table, or if there's no cool people at your table, you could turn to another table. That's totally cool. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Here's the, the discussion question is, what is the practical application today of do not make an idol for yourself? Do you understand the question? What does it really mean? What, how does that mean? How does that apply? 2008, right now, do not make an idol for yourself. Are you ready to discuss? Yay! <laughs> All right, ready, get set, discuss. give you another uh, 30 seconds just to wrap up your conversations. <clears throat> Sorry. That's longer than 30 seconds. It isn't? It's 30 seconds exactly. All right, I'll trust you. Right. Is anyone bold enough to stand up and say, here's the genius of our group. Here's what we talked about. Here's how we can practically apply this message today of do not worship an idol. <laughs> Go ahead, Jared. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um yeah, we do worship a God. Now Jesus Jesus came to this earth in in the form of a man, but he was also fully God. And so the image of Jesus is an image that that we can worship. I mean at least the 
the idea that Jesus came to the came to this earth as a, as a man. But I think I think you're exactly right that he said that sometimes we worship this you know Caucasian guy that's you know blonde hair, blue eyed guy, and that's our picture of Jesus. And and obviously that's wrong because he was very Middle Eastern. But then at the same time, sometimes we picture Jesus in this way or that, and um, it could be wrong. And so that's a, that's a good application to that. I saw another hand. Yes, go ahead. You yes, please stand up so everyone can hear you. The genius of what you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Excellent. Yes, thank you. Yeah, when I was uh, in high school, I had a youth pastor that would frequently um, talk about do not have an idol in your life and... um, he would talk about, um, you know, how if you if you're if you're playing soccer more than you know, or practicing soccer and having more passion and energy for soccer than you are for God, then maybe soccer is an idol in your life. Or maybe if you're chasing girls and constantly going on dates and constantly worrying and thinking about it, and all your energy and money and everything is poured into these girls, uh, high school girls, and maybe. Girls is an idol in your life, and he talked about that, and I think that's totally true. That's a good, it's a good way to avoid having an image or an idol in your life. And um, uh, yeah, I, th- I see one more hand, Barrett, in the back. <laughs> it's gonna be good, by the way. Just know it. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I had a theology professor that used to say, uh, uh, don't, or he would say, if you think you have God all figured out, that God is in this box, then you're definitely wrong. Because God does not live in that doot, 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 that box. And so if you think you have God all figured out, you're probably wrong. Because in, so, in some ways we can know a whole bunch about God. We, could, we can have a correct uh, idea, the presence of God. But at the same time, we can't have them all figured out. We can't have a God in a box. And, um, you know, one obviously one application of do not have an idol is making a golden calf. And, you know, when I was, I, I, I traveled around uh, Thailand for a while. It was pretty cool, like kind of a missionary journey. I got to uh, roll around Thailand. And, and Thailand's a very Buddhist country. And they'd have these little fat baby Buddha golden dolls, like, outside of their house. And they would sacrifice little things to it, not like, you know, animals or anything they just put money on it or they it's just so funny to me they put like a little candy bar out there for buddha kind of like <laughs> you know here's my sacrifice to little buddha the funniest thing and it was actually pretty common is like a little can of coke 
for Buddha. <laughs> and literally, they just leave it right there like all day. And then the next morning would roll around. They throw all that stuff in the trash and, and, and make some more little sacrifices to Buddha outside people's houses or outside of stores for good luck. These little things uh, dedicated are offered to Buddha. Or when I was in Nepal, I thought I was like uh, going up to the roof. I was going to pray that morning, got up early, thought I was going to be the only one up there praying over the city of Kathmandu. Turns out, like I looked around and on all these other roofs are, are Hindus out there with literally like a little golden statue either of like Shiva doing her little her little pose and people were people were like have, having incense and, and putting it around Shiva and then taking the red paint putting it on Shiva and then taking some and putting it on their forehead and that's what that little that's uh, Hindus have that dot in their forehead that that means that they that 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 morning they had worshipped their little golden god, the image of a, of, a, of a real god that they believe in. And I think in American culture, is that really the application of do not make an idol? And I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't struggle with like, man, I, man, that idol is so cool. I just want to worship it right now. It's like, man, the little golden Buddha. I can't. I just want to bow down to it. I don't. I think that application is <laughs> is silly um, for our culture, at least. And uh, I think what's more applicable is some of the things you guys said, having having images of God or thinking, uh, just creating for yourself who you think God is. And I have a, a video clip for you, and hopefully it, it'll it'll just be a funny. Uh, little video clip, but here is a video clip of of a guy named uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> and I, I know you didn't come to church to see uh, Will Ferrell, but I think this is uh, the the Baby Jesus Prayer in uh, Talladega Nights. And and see if you it's it's obviously a funny scene, and and you can watch it. Um, but what I want you to p- see is that he there there the whole family seems to be disobeying commandment number two. Do not make for yourself an idol. Do not make God into something that you can form. And so I hope you could see that, that the purpose in showing this. Ready? Roll it. Supper's ready. Come on, y'all. Been slaving over this for hours. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. Mm. also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, right. but I'm here to party, too. 
Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 All right. <laughs> Hopefully, I know you didn't come to church to see funny movies, but uh, you saw, I mean, obviously that's a huge exaggeration of someone disobeying commandment number two, but you see the application that someone is forming, uh, the whole family, you know, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja. It's just these pictures, these images of God himself in how we want him to be made. Do you see it? It's it's blatantly clear to me, and obviously that's an exaggeration, but how many times have you heard someone say something like this? Listen to this statement. They'll say something like, I can't believe in a God that would, you fill in the blank, I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. I can't believe in a God that would uh, allow bad things to happen to good people. I can't believe in a God that you know won't let me have this brand new car. <laughs> whatever, fill in the blank. I can't believe in a God that this or that that. You know, and one of the uh, you know whipping boys of, of this kind of idealism is, uh, uh, not a boy, but uh, Oprah Winfrey. You know, she'll, on her show, she just talks about how, oh, you know, God is whom you want to worship. And you can, it's called pluralism. If you're taking notes, there's, there's, this, there's this word that I'm going to keep using, so hopefully um, you get it down. It's, it's this... It's called pluralism, and I'm sure you've heard of the idea before. Maybe you haven't heard of the word pluralism. But pluralism is, is taking different religions and combining them into your own theology. Pluralism, taking different religions and combining them into your own theology. And so someone like Oprah or someone that's um, just kind of spiritual but not obviously not a, a, a Christian might say something like, you know, you Christians are so arrogant. And... and uh, They'll, they'll say something like, you Christians are so arrogant because you believe that your religion is the only true religion. And, and, and your response to that might be, well, that was, that's not my claim. That's Jesus' claim. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a statement in, in John chapter 14. Jesus said that. And so you, you, you might come back with that and, and, and Oprah or Oprah lover. Uh, and you know what I mean by that, just someone following that th theology or that idealism that we can take, oh, this idea of reincarnation from the from the Hindus or the Buddhists. Oh, I like the idea of reincarnation. I like the idea that, uh, you know, that baby Jesus is a nice Jesus. And so I'm going to take Jesus from, baby Jesus at least, from the Christians. And this, this idea that God's in all control. Oh, the Muslims worship a God that's in all control, Allah. So I'll kind of take that. And I'll take these different things and form God into how I want him to be worshipped. 
And you don't, maybe you don't think about it like that. And so j- imagine yourself in that situation uh, of someone saying, you know, you Christians are so arrogant thinking that you have the only way to worship God. When really, I think it's, it's, it's quite opposite, and directly opposite, 180 degrees opposite, that, that someone is, is making a claim that, oh, well, I worship a God that's this, this, and this, that I've kind of formed. I've taken the best of these religions, this pluralism, and, and I've created a God that I worship. Like, don't you realize that it shouldn't be you asking me, you know, how arrogant I am. It should be me asking you, how arrogant do you think you are? Uh, Breaking commandment number two that says, do not make for yourself an idol. Do not make for yourself an image of a God that you want to worship. And I think that's, that to me, that's the practical application of of this whole story of um, the golden calf. And and by the way, it's not my, it was me and uh, sitting down with, you guys know Glenn Packiam, right? a genius when it comes to theology and things like this. He's, he's got a blog, uh, and he talks about pluralism. And uh, he, I asked him if I had permission to announce this, but he's writing a new book. It should be uh, maybe a year or so from now. It's, it's going to be called Secondhand Jesus. And it's basically a book about how we, you know, take things like Talladega Nights, someone saying, oh, I like baby Jesus, and how, you know, I, I pray to baby Jesus. Or, you know, taking different things, or the blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. And you're like, well, that's probably not true. He's Middle Eastern. You know, he's a man. He had a beard. Um, you know, how we take different ideas and meld them into our theology and even pray to a God or, or worship a God that's probably not the image of the true God that we need to worship because our God doesn't have an image. We don't worship images of our God. And that's what the sin was in Exodus 32, this golden calf incident. And so I've, I've said, that as I've kind of concluded this idea, I've said a lot of do nots. Don't pray to baby Jesus. Don't take pluralism and all these different religions and form them into your own God. Don't um, make up a God for yourself and, and, and pray to it. Or don't say to yourself, I just couldn't believe in a God that... You know, fill in the blank. But, but believe in a God that is, that is true. And I think the way we come, well, the to-do of, of this whole lesson is to worship the true God. And the true God is the I am. He gave his name to Moses at the burning bush and said, the verb to be. What's your name? The verb to be. That I am. I was. You know, that we are. You know, this verb to be. That he gave Moses that name. It's just so fascinating to me. I am that I am is usually how it's translated. And so what I, the to-do of this message is to worship the true God. And how do we do that? How do we know when we're truly worshiping God in his true form? And I think it's really out of a study of Scripture that we know truly who God is. Because we could sit down and we could pray to God and we can have this image of God and maybe not know that it's a correct image until we read the scripture and combine what we think about God with his word. And I think I'm going to read a passage today, and I want you to turn to it. Uh, get, out, get out, if you put your Bible away, pull it back out and turn to Exodus 34. Um, we'll still end today with lots of time to get to church or to talk to your friends. But I want to look at this passage with a seriousness because it's Exodus 34. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 is all. And this whole chapter is very interesting because... God basic, basically speaks about himself. And this is the, really the conclusion of the Exodus 32 golden calf story. Because as you remember, Moses comes down and sees the partying, the revelry going on, and he smashes those two tablets. And here's what God says about that whole incident. Chapter 34, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out, out two stone tablets like the first ones. And then he says this, I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets comma, which you broke. 
I think that right there says a lot about our God, doesn't it? I mean, Moses came down, and in Moses' own anger, he broke those tablets. But here God is saying, I'm going to fix that. It was your mistake. You broke them, but I'm going to write on them. I'm going to fix that. And verse 2 says, Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Just him and God. I think that says a lot, too, that, that we can come to God personally, individually. And then it says this, Not even the flocks or herds make graze in the front of the mountain. I think that talks about God's holiness. He doesn't want any, anything, anyone, nobody on that mountain but him and Moses. And I think we all have that ability to go straight to God. And there's, there's a respect in coming to God in prayer. Verse 4 says, So Moses chiseled out those two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says he carried those two stone, stone tablets in his hands. Then, he, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Or it says the Lord. And Lord is, uh, each one of those letters is capitalized, signifying that it is the holy name that's being used right here. He proclaimed his name, I am. And then he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. And we could translate that because we know that the name Yahweh means I am. We could translate it and say, I am. I am the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And this is the conclusion, you realize, of, of the whole golden calf incident and how God came to Moses on, on Mount Sinai before and said, Stand back. Don't hold me back. I am going to destroy these people. And Moses said, God, please don't do that. And God then changes his mind. And he talks about himself here. And he says, I am. I am the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us into your inheritance. And then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never seen or done in any nation in the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I have commanded to you today. And he goes on to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. I'm going to give you into the land that I have promised you. So with that understanding of God, let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads. Jesus, we come to you, Father, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, the great I Am. Father, we look to you right now. And we want to worship the right and true God. We don't want an image of God, an image that we've made in our own head, our own hearts of how you are or how you act. We want the real deal. We want you. We want you, God, the creator of of this world to enlighten us, to give us to give us hope, to give us assurance, to give us the knowledge of who you are directly. And so Father, we worship you. We don't worship an image of you. We don't worship a God that we that we want to worship. We truly worship you as you gave yourself to us. You gave yourself in the form of Jesus. You gave us yourself in the form of the words that are written in the Bible that we can worship you. We don't worship the Bible. We worship you, Jesus. 
We worship you as you truly are, the great I am. So, Father, come to us. Enlighten us with who you are today. God, we love you and we praise you. We leave here, we leave the Mill Sunday School rejoicing that, that you've spoken to us today. That it hasn't been any words that, that I've spoken, Joe Kirkendall has spoken, but it's been your words in our heart today. It's been your words through the Bible coming alive to us that you've shown yourself to us today. And, Father, we ultimately thank you for that. God, we worship you and we praise you. And everybody said, Amen.